I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this active stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. I'm Alan Winson. I'm joined on Prison Monologues podcast episode by Richard Holer, actor and acting teacher. And we're speaking with a young man I met in March of this year of the COVID-19 pandemic, 2020. He was a guest along with Sam Johnson on my other podcast, Bar Crawl Radio, episode number 89. Uh, he's also an acting student in Richard Holder's Acting Out Workshop at HB Studios. And Christopher Lee, I want to thank you for joining us for this Prison Monologues conversation. It's great to see you again. Uh, likewise. Thanks for having me. And Richard Holder is here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I'm very busy. You know, right. I'll be with acting out and teaching and acting myself and doing all sorts of things. So. Oh, you are doing some acting. Well, I, yeah, I've been having getting auditions. We have these, get these virtual auditions, which is pretty, excellent. Very wild, but yeah. Excellent. That's 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 wonderful. And you were out running, so you're all sweaty. Yeah. So <laughs> so, so we know that. Before we get into any kind of like you know deep conversation, we like to start uh, these prison monologue episodes with our uh, performer doing something for us that maybe okay. you're working on or something that you've done. Give us a lead in. What are you doing? And, and let's hear it. Okay. So this will be a piece that we just finished rapping uh, a couple of weeks back called Talk to Me and uh, play the character, the character by the name of Joe. And um, it's pretty intense. So here goes nothing. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. I want to do what I want. I proved it tonight, I'm good. I went out to earn some money and I earned. I had a professional fight tonight. Maybe I'll have some more. Don't want to sit. Every birthday I've ever had, I spent sitting around. Now's the time for standing. I have to tell you, I don't like myself. Past, present, and future. Do you know there are men who have wonderful things from life? You think they're better than me? You think I like this feeling of no possessions? You don't know what it means to sit around here and watch the months go ticking by. Tomorrow's my birthday. My life. Music means more than me. May I tell you something? If you laugh, I'll never speak to you again. With music, I'm never alone when I'm alone. Playing music is like saying, I am man. I belong here. How do you do, world? Good evening. 
and I play music, nothing is close to me. I'm not afraid of people and what they say. There's no war in music, like in the streets. Does it sound funny? But when you leave that room down in the streets, it's war. People have hurt my feelings for years. I never forget. But you can't get even with people by playing the fiddle. If music shot bullets, <laughs> I like it better. End scene. End scene. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Chris. Um, let's Thank talk you. a little bit about the piece and then about your connection to the piece. Because clearly there's, okay. some, there's some connection here that you have with it. Who is this yeah. character? What's what's the play that it comes from? Talk to me was a this is the reason why a lot of the guys aren't familiar. Talk to me was a comp compilation of monologues from all different plays, and I purposely left it kind of obscured because I didn't want people getting so <clears throat> I didn't want them doing all their, all, you know, putting it into some kind of historical context. I wanted the pieces to come across as being very contemporary, which they do the way Chris does it, especially. But that is from Golden Boy by Clifford Odets. Of course, right? it's it was, Golden Boy. I mean, I recognize with the violin and right, uh, right. And, the, the violin uh, a fighter. Together. Right. He, he has to choose between being a musician and being a fighter and, and uh, is conflicted in that way. But it, but that conflict seemed to translate really well. And maybe Chris can talk about what that means to him. You know? We use a little piece of that for the introduction of prison monologues, uh -huh. uh, okay. the first few words of it, because it's a very powerful way that you, that you deliver it. I, I know that you are a musician because we, uh -huh. we had talked about that. And also, like the character in Golden Boy, you've come yeah. from some rough times. Uh, so yeah. if you talk about how, how does this character relate to you? Do you feel it? Is it does it say something? Oh, man. It, it speaks to me um, in a great deal um, because I know what it's like to miss several birthdays. Um, actually, I just celebrated my 34th birthday, finally, on this side of the gate. Um, and that was wonderful. I went out with a group of friends and we had something to eat and whatnot. Um, but music, let's, let's talk about music. So I am not, you know, by trade a boxer. I've never had a professional fight in my life. However, I've had to fight through life. And sometimes there's not time for music. Um, since we spoke, I actually haven't even been able to record. I haven't gone to a studio and it's just been solely acting for me. Um, so that's kind of like a part of the process. And wanting to get back to music in some form or fashion, even if it's only just to be a ghostwriter. Um, but I think just the frustration, you know, of the character kind of speaks to me as an individual. Um, you know, the way that I once seen life and the way that I view it now is totally different. And you kind of just, you want to be taken serious. Um, nobody wants to be criticized. Nobody wants to be judged. And um, that would probably be it. Yeah. And I guess you've experienced being judged uh, through a, a good part of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you, I was going to ask you about this later, but since we started talking about your interest in music, um, uh -huh. um, what, what do you think has stopped you from proceeding? Because the last time I spoke with you, you uh -huh. were moving ahead with your music. Uh, what, what, what's gotten in the way? Um, it's timing. You know, timing, I've come to learn, is everything. Uh, acting definitely picked up. You know, back when we were conversed, when we conversed, uh, acting, we actually would go to class probably like once uh, once a week at the time. That was on a Sunday morning to afternoon. And it kind of just took precedent over everything else and getting into the role and rehearsing. And it's just life because, you know, as we have the pandemic came and, uh, you know, that shut down studios. 
so I couldn't actually record. Uh, um, and just having a complete team. This is this situation for me is more complete. Uh, we have a group of guys here that work together well. And with music, it's more than just a guy writing down things and recording them. So you're going to need a producer, right? And then if you want to be seen, you're going to need a photographer, a videographer. And these are a lot of things that at this current juncture, I do not have. So I just kind of put it to the back burner and focused on more of what I can control in hopes that someday I'll be able to return and, um, you know, make the best of that. Right. You clearly have some ideas that you want to communicate. Yes. I met you and Sam Johnson uh, in the same podcast, um, uh -huh. and Richard was on that podcast too. And when we spoke uh, for that BCR episode back in March 2020, uh, the uh -huh. pandemic, you had just brought up the idea of the pandemic, was just growing. So we were at the John Jay College podcast studio. Mm -hmm. We had to soon leave after that. And again, I've not been, well, we've not been back at the school for many, many, many months. Yeah. Um, at that time, you'd been out of Otisville for maybe four months. So now yes, you've been out for good. about a year, right? Close to two, two months. Two months from now will be a year. Excellent. Um, and have you stayed in touch with the guys there that you knew? And how are they doing? Um, I mean, especially um, now that, you know, they've been living through this pandemic. Well, honestly, right, uh, because of the way it's set up, that's actually against the rules. So I have not had the opportunity to keep in contact with an individual on the other side. However, I've seen or heard from some of the guys that have returned to society. And um, we didn't really speak about, you know, what it was that they were dealing with on the other side, you know, while this all was going on. Um, but I was definitely happy to see that they returned in one piece and um, attempting to get their lives back on track in any way that, you know, I could be of assistance. So we have this program here, right? This workshop, um, this company, I should say, um, acting out. So a couple of guys that reached out to me, um, I ended up forwarding their information to Rich. And as of yet, they haven't attended, but hopeful that they'll be a participant at some time in the near future. But as far as reaching out to the other side, I have not. Right. Uh, well, I, I did. I didn't realize that you're not allowed to. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not really sure who made those rules up. But just right. the way things come things off. Richard, you know anything about that? Why? why yeah, yeah. Case? There's. I don't know why. I mean, and I. I can't really until people get out. I. I can absolutely have no contact with anybody in the inside. I could lose my position as a volunteer if I do. Right. That's just. That's I, a I do remember rule. we're not allowed to like take letters out or take letters in. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can't contact anybody or anything. So I just, you know, I call the dep every once in a while and I, she's very friendly and I ask her, how are the guys doing? Have you seen any of the guys from my workshop and stuff like that? I said, you know, and I say, you know, please say hi if you see them, tell them I send my best, you know, but that's, that's as close as I can get. You know, there's no direct contact is forbidden. Yeah. But it's got to be hard. I mean, you've been with these guys. For many, mm -hmm. many years, and um, you must have created, you know, connections with them over the years. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And you must think about absolutely. them and worry about them. Yes, absolutely, um, considering the fact that you've been there. So aside from just the relationship you have with them as individuals, being there yourself, you kind of understand the treatment that you were subjected to in, a let's say, a normal timing. And now that we have something that the world, that as long as I've been alive, has never seen, I'm pretty sure that shifted you know, a lot of things that were already going on and probably made some circumstances worse for guys. So yeah. I'm pretty sure it's definitely, definitely not a pretty sight. Yeah. I, I'm going to change it, uh, the subject a little bit and then get back to okay. um, the, uh, the experiences of, of, of you, which, which is a big part of your life, which is the fact that you were incarcerated mm -hmm. and now, and now wonderfully you're not. 
Um, when we first met, and I continue to be particularly impressed by the poetic way you were able to express yourself. I just I just picked Thank up you. I just picked up two terms. Uh, this side of the gate, which is kind of a, a very yeah. kind of interesting poetic. This side of the gate, and you keep coming up yeah. with those. There's another one you said. Um, fight oh fight fighting through life you know i was curious and and there's i think we'll we'll hear some others so just everyone listen up as as chris talks he can't help himself listen listen to the poet listen to the poet there i appreciate that um i was curious it just kind of raised to me is like what do you read what kinds of stuff do you read man so um i've come across some pretty interesting literature uh in my time incarcerated i think just maybe in life um, one book that I can say I came across that um, kind of stuck with me was by a guy named Victor F. Frankel, I believe that's the title, uh, the author, and it was Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. And um, it was uh, based around Nazi concentration camps. And I got a chance to kind of see what those individuals were subjected to. And it kind of makes you look at your own situation and think that life isn't as bad as it could be. And I kind of picked up that ideology then that it could always be worse. Um, I've had the opportunity to read The Alchemist. I've had the opportunity to read um, The Four Agreements. Um, I think just different types of books, whether it be urban literature or you know books that I came across while having to study as being a part of um, the P2CP program. And that's, and that's the prison to college pipeline program that absolutely. comes out of John Jay College. Right? Absolutely. Oh, another book I had the opportunity to read, and, and, and I'll make this, I want to make this, I want to make this distinction. So there are books that you read and then there are books that you study. Um, I actually had a chance to study a book called Emotional Intelligence. And to come into contact with, you know, a lot of terminologies that, of course, I had never been familiar with. And then it gave me more of an understanding about life for me and then, out, and then looking outside. Um, and there's like this terminology like um, hindsight bias that I came in contact with, ah. which allows you to believe, right? Let's say, for instance, me and you were conversing. And as we are now. As we are now. Yeah. And you kind of you kind of thought that something would come to pass. And then it kind of did, right? It, it, it did come to pass. But you didn't know for sure because there's, there are no guarantees except for death in Texas, uh, living in America. So well, except you, uh, if you're Donald Trump, you're just death, not the taxes don't. Well, you know. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, um, and, and you and you're kind of like, well, I kind of knew that was going to happen only because it did. That's that's hindsight bias. It's like you didn't know, but you you're going to let yourself believe that you did know because it came to pass. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? After the fact, because right. after the fact. Yeah. So so you so something happened. You're like, well, I knew that was going to happen, but you yeah. only knew that because it happened. There you go. There you go. Yeah. We, we, we make up what we need to make up to get us through the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when yeah. we spoke uh, last, back in March, you had written to us before the, uh, before the conversation that you had used your time in prison to change your life. That part uh-huh. of your experience, and I'm quoting you, in putting on a pair of state greens, uh-huh. end quote, provided a sense of normalcy as opposed to an abnormal environment where you grew up. And because you had resources there not provided in your community, you know, uh-huh. like the acting workshop you took with Richard. So my question was, how important was that workshop to you in getting you in the right state of mind so that you could get through your time there and, and maybe get out? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to use a terminology that probably would be frowned upon while you're incarcerated. 
called escape. You probably should never say that while you're on the other side of the gate. That particular um, word. It, it, yeah, yeah, don't say that. Yeah, right. There's no telling what might transpire. Um, but I can say that now. Um, it offered me a form of escape. Uh, I was able to, and, and, and now I'll say this, in times or at times in life, we as individuals don't know how to properly deal with the things that we're going through. So we look for forms of escapism. And at that time, it wasn't the case because I had come to realize who I was. So the form of escape that acting provided was just a chance for me to be exactly who I was. Because when you're inside, right, those opportunities aren't presented uh, so often. And it was consistent. This this was an individual that, that would, was able to go home every time he came and sat with us. And he treated us no different than individuals he probably came in contact with on the other side of the gate. So... You know, if, if if normality even exists, I, I, I want to say that since the pandemic has arrived and it's still here lingering, um, there's no such thing as normal. Um, I think I feel as if we as creatures, right, of habit, we just learn how to adapt. Because before this came and decided to stick around like, like that relative that you might not like so much, but you're still family. <laughs> um, you know, we weren't wearing masks. That's something that you might have seen out of a movie. So. I've come to realize that you gotta kind of just take things as they are. And with acting, it was consistent. Um, it was comfortable. And I got a chance to to be myself, to, be, to become more of myself, I should say, with the assistance of Rich. Right. Uh, could, could you um, say why it was that you decided to actually take the course? What was your, 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 your existing in this in this place, you've been there for mm. a long time. You heard huh. about this acting class. I don't know if you had acted before or not, but what was huh. the decision that you went through to say, yeah, I'm gonna give that a try? Um, This particular environment, that particular facility, I will say that it offered maybe more programs than the other ones that I had uh, previously um, resided in. And I think that the majority of the other ones that I've taken that interest me and Whatever I didn't like, I stayed away from. It. I, I want to say it was more of a form of a challenge. Um, Had you, know, you acted they, they before? Put these flyers up. No, I've never acted before. Right. Never acted. Before. Right. So when you walked in that that first day, you walked in to the workshop and you see Richard there. You see the guys, mm -hmm. you know, circle around the room. What What mm -hmm. did you expect? What did you find? Was it immediately a great experience? I would say so. I would say so. And I would also say, you know, and I always, I always have the opportunity for this to be presented, that as great as, as great as, as great as things are now with the company and how far we've come, I almost wasn't a part of it. I almost wasn't here. And I'll say that because I was welcomed with open arms as soon as I walked in the room, Rich, you know, the guys, which were different guys back then because the program shifted so much from guys being released, going to the box. Uh, you know, just different reasons or dropping out. And um, we had neared production, like we neared taking the stage. And he didn't give me one, but two roles. And then things kind of got a little bit hectic. Like there was this level of, I don't know, it, it was like overwhelming, I should say, for lack of a better terminology, that I felt. And I just, I stopped, I stopped going. You know, I stopped showing up. And I wrote, I wrote Richard a letter stating, um, I wanted to kind of focus on other things. I think mainly one of them were education. I was going to attend John Jay, you know, prison college pipe program was coming up and I stopped going. And, um, you know, he understood. He said, listen, whenever you want to come back, you know, just feel free to show up. 
And I actually attended that particular production and watched someone else play my role. Ooh. And then I knew every line, every <laughs> line, word for word. And, um, <laughs> you know, I told myself that one day I would return if the opportunity presented itself. And the opportunity did, and I've been back ever since. Right. And that opportunity happened after you were out. No, 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 no while, while I was still there. in there. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted, it, was a, it was about a, a year and a half, two-year gap right. in between attending and, and just dropping out. And then one day I seen another flyer, they put another flyer up and said, oh, if anyone's interested, we have another, you know, um, show coming up. Um, and I, I wrote I wrote another letter, not to Rich. I wrote one to the uh, one to the library and they put me on the call out. I showed up. Rich remembered me. You know, it wasn't like I was a stranger. He was like, hey, man, what's going on? How you been? Yeah, how can anyone and forget you, up Chris? From there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he picked up from we picked up from there. And um, he not only allowed me to come back, he entrusted in me. Right. Um a role that would make me go first. So I actually opened the show, wow. opened the show. And um, I actually had two roles again, now yeah. that I'm thinking about it, two roles again. And uh, it was great. It was great. And, and then you get this kind of, this feeling that you don't ever want to go away. And um, and like I said, now I'm here and this is it for me. I'm sticking with it. A feeling you don't want ever to go away. That's, yeah. that's very interesting. I think we can, <clears throat> I wanted to ask Rich, uh, do you remember that, that, inc- that uh, moment when, Chris left, and you had to find oh, yeah. someone else. Yeah, and... I, I, I can't say I was too happy about it. I mean, the, you know, he handled it really well by sending me the letter. But I was—it was only three weeks before the show. I was kind of devastated, and then I had a hard time replacing him. But the thing is, is that you know, he explained himself so well that I said, you know, this is hard, but he's got to do what he's got to do, and I got to do what I got to do. And I'm used to this happening. When you work in there, I, I'm, I lose guys all the time for, as Chris pointed out, for various reasons. But when he came back, I mean, like, that's the thing I always say about the workshop. My door is always open. I was just so happy that he came back because he's such a good actor. You know what I mean? So that it was just sort of, you know, we just went right on. You know, I just want to say something that Chris said to me uh, when we were at HB Studio, because, you know, see how far he's come from, like somebody who said, I, didn't, I just did this as a challenge. I didn't know anything about the theater. We were sitting in the car. I was giving him a ride home after class. And, and he just turns to me and he goes, Rich, he says, he says, you know, he says, I just realized something. I says, what? He goes, I never realized how important theater is. And I want to tell you that like spoke to my heart because that's what I've been doing my whole life. But the fact that I know that he gets it, how important it is to reflect people's lives back to them. That's what he just did before when he did that monologue. He's expressing his frustrations and, and it ties into ours. And we're able to have like, oh, God, somebody's speaking for me. And that's what theater does. We get up here and we hold up a mirror to everyone and we say, here's what it looks like, folks. Here's what it feels like. I'm with you, you know? And I'm just so pleased that he, he articulated it in a way that I've never been able to articulate it before. And it was very simple and to the point and beautiful. So, Chris, how, how would you put it? Why is theater important? Oh, man. Um, it's kind of like life. There aren't that many second chances. Um, so when you take the stage, or we've come <laughs> to, be, to 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 uh, normalize, right? And this little box right here that you can see me speaking it to, um, <laughs> you're giving something. You're giving you're giving people something that nothing else can. And this is not to take anything away from, you know, uh, sitcoms or movies that you see in a big screen. Those individuals, you know, they're they're brave for what they do. However, they get more than one chance. If they mess up, they can just do another take. Right. If we mess up, then we damn well better figure out where to put some rest of those lines at. Or just smile. <laughs> smile. Do something. But you cannot get off that stage. And you cannot right. walk away from this box. So um, 
it's just a necessity, man. And, and and I say that I said that then before we even put on a production. Mind you, I had never performed in society on this side of the gate. And then talk to me happened. And people responded, you know, in a similar fashion, like like they did when we were, you know, um still in Otisville, if not even better. Some people cried. So when, when you see that, it's it's powerful, man. It's powerful, it's priceless. And and you realize how much of a necessity it truly is. And and you are as the person that's bringing that to them. Yeah. Especially at a time like this. Especially yeah. at a time like this. Yeah. Um, and it's a, a shame at a time <laughs> like this, we can't do it live, that we have to do it this right. they have to do it this way, not not in person. Um, mm-hmm. you say that you know theater is important for the audience, that you're bringing something, you're giving something of yourself to the audience. But it's also important to you, too. And I think you expressed that earlier, that yeah. the ability to kind of speak other words and present yourself at the same time, which I'm getting is a big part of Rich's lesson, is True. an actor speaks himself yeah. uh, through the yeah, words. Um, Go ahead. I've learned dealing with Rich, uh, there's a misconception about acting in itself. I think people have this... Uh, this idea that acting is you taking on a role and becoming someone else. Uh, that's a misconception, excuse me, a misconception. You're the person that you become is actually who you are. So say for instance, we come to class, Rich has a thing where it's a part of the program. And it's like, we go around with our names and how we're feeling. So the energy that you're bringing into that moment is actually who you are. Yes. You're remembering lines that might not be what you wrote, but I'm going to give you something that's a part of me. So when you hear me say this, you don't know whether or not you don't know whether or not I wrote it because I'm just being me. So acting is just being you, you know, to whatever degree that particular role is going to take. Yeah. You know, so if it's emotional, then it's emotional. If you're enraged, then it's enraged. Um, but it's still you all the way through. And I hear that in your acting. It, it comes through the through the screen and you say simply, but it's I think uh as you know, a lot of actors say it's not so simple to be able to do that, to make that that kind of uh, that kind of commitment. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely a commitment. I mean, the hardest person to be is ourselves. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's easy to be somebody else. It's very hard to be who you really are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Back in March, we were talking about the difficulty of starting a new life after <coughs> being incarcerated for a long time. Okay. Uh, of merely finding work for the uh, for, for yourself, and I wanted to play a piece mm-hmm. from that BCR program, in which you very okay. clearly voiced that difficulty. Back to Chris as a poet. You know, I can understand where he's coming from. I think my first week in home, I was interviewed for a seasonal job, and up until the point where the employer asked me if I'd ever been incarcerated, everything was fine. Like we're talking just regular. Like we're talking here. And once that came up, like I wish I could have taken the way that she looked at me after the fact and put that into a portrait. Because it was like, wait, what? Wow. But it wasn't until you you knew that that you that you decided you were gonna judge me. But I'll say this. A challenge for me is being able to be the person that I know that I truly am. Every day that I wake up. I think we all as people throughout our journey in life would like to get to that ideal version of ourselves. And after you've made so many bad decisions, you want nothing more. I I want nothing more than to be able to not only fix my situation and those of other people, because I don't think I'll be free as a person until I'm able to free someone else. 
You understand what I'm saying? So there's a kid out there right now that's on the verge of being incarcerated at 16 years old that's going to go through the same, if not worse, than what Sam went through at that age that I might have went through at 17 years old. And, you know, it's not going to turn out for the best. Um, so I, I feel like every day that I wake up, that's my main objective. Have any opportunity to be a part of something like this. Um, just to be able to give people some level of hope so they don't feel bad. I, I don't want empathy. I don't want sympathy. I want to be heard and for someone else to say, you know what? I'm going to take what he's saying and I'm going to do something better than what I was already doing. Because And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at that point. Um, anyone want to hear more of what Chris said? It's in BCR number, number 89. And again, I think it's another example of how well you can put those ideas together. Um, in this excerpt we just played, you talked about a young person of 16, 17 whose actions are moving him towards prison. And you, you know about who, yes. who that kind of person is. Is there any way that you could have made your 17-year-old self realize what you realize now? Impossible. <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? Let me not say that. That's the wrong terminology. Highly unlikely. And I say that because I think more times than not, people want to kind of change things that they've gone through. They want to change decisions that they've made. Because it's like, you know, it doesn't feel good. Those things didn't feel good. Like, if you can go back that far, you want to be, you want, you want something different to happen. I got to keep it real with you, Alan. Um, I wouldn't be right here. I wouldn't be here. And um, I'm fortunate, you know, for a lot of things that I couldn't control, for decisions that I thought were in my best interest back then. Um, and it's gotten me this far. And now I understand, now I understand how I can possibly reach someone that may be younger than me. Um, I think there's this misconception that when you tell someone, well, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to end up like me. I think nobody wants to hear that. That's like the last thing that anybody's going to believe. So you mean to tell me that I'm going to end up like you? They'll laugh at you. <laughs> My main objective is for you to look at things that I've gone through, right? And you to decide for yourself whether or not what I went through is worth you going through, if not worse, right? Because over time, things are subjective to change. You know, if you believe in that type of stuff, I think that a lot of things in life are subjective. Success is subjective. There's not like just one thing you can put there and say, well, this is what it is. This is not the example. It's just a example, an example. And um, so I'm going to say it was highly unlikely that I could have been the, the person that I am now or thought the way that I thought now because who would I be now? Yeah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me, let me uh, put the question a little bit differently, kind of expand it out to kind of more of a, a social perspective. Is there okay. one thing that you could have changed in your community or whatever as you were growing up, one thing that might have led you to a more positive outcome, although where you are now is a positive outcome. I'm right. talking about you know a different kind of positive outcome that didn't include prison. Um, a different school, better teachers, a community yeah. services, police mm -hmm. behavior changing, teen club, different kind of work. Mm -hmm. What could have changed in your community that may have influence you in a more positive way, whatever that was? Oh, man. I don't know. I feel as if, you know, in my particular neighborhood, they were doctors, right? They were lawyers. Um, they were probably dentists. Not probably, they were dentists. <laughs> I don't remember learning those things, though. You know, I don't remember learning about those things in school. And, and you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm going to take all of that back. And, and I'm going to give 
the utmost respect to those individuals with that career choice. I honestly believe had the curriculum inside of my elementary school, because of course that's where it's going to start for you, would have consisted of emotional intelligence, um, financial literacy, like things that, that matter more than how, you know, big your IQ is. I think there's a misconception that because you might be smart, that your life is going to turn out great. But what happens when you know so much, right, but you can't control your emotions? Are you not going to find yourself in a situation where you become impulsive? So I feel like a lot of times for all of us, and, um, and, and my, with my circumstances and coming from where I was coming from, um, that was likely to take place. And even in situations where you have those children that have all the resources in the world, they can make the same decisions. So when you, you're not in control of your emotions and then you have no understanding of money, right? Maybe how to obtain it, but not how to keep it or to invest and things of that nature. Life for you is going to be pretty difficult. I can honestly say. I, I forget the percentage, but I know there's, there, there's one that exists for the individuals that are incarcerated. And um, a greater percentage of individuals that find themselves on the other side of the gate is dealing with probably money, either not having any, right? Either going to do something to get it. Um, because there's kind of this, this, this uh, let's say, this significance put on the fact that if you have it, then you kind of matter. But is that true? Like, does it matter if you have more money than someone else? Or does that make you better than them? Kind of like the role or the play that I actually just spoke to you about. Do you think that this person is better than me because they have more stuff? So I think um, those things being taught early on could have resulted in things being different now. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing is just to give you feedback is that what you were saying, it's in the area of a, an education with a different kind of focus that yeah. teaches the young child how to be aware of their emotions and, and gain some control over it. Um, so there's the economic issue of great poverty in this country, which, which, which leads to awful outcomes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think you're, you're on to some major policy changes that we, we need to consider as, as, we, as yeah. we move towards the future in a, a different president. <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually, you know, um, now this is not, I'm not about to say, well, we don't need a different president. I, I have a level of curiosity about that. I, I see it so much, but I refrain from engaging in dialogue um, pertaining to this individual being removed and replaced with whom? Yeah, We're going to replace this individual that a lot of us have come to believe, right? And I'm saying us because we're living in America as like the worst person that we could have all had in this position. Replaced with whom? Yep. Whom should take his place and put us in a position where we have more of a chance as a whole? Not just for one class, right, or one race. For all of us as a whole to get to a level to where we're better than we used to be. Yep. Who's going to save us? Yep. Who is that person? Who can do that? <clears throat> You know what? That's a whole other conversation. I know, but it's a great question. It's it a is, great question. It is. You know it is. I mean? it, it is a great question, because our society, our country, need, needs to change. But let's hear another monologue. Do you have something else prepared for us? All right. Let um, me set. Yeah. Let me set this up, just because there's a little history to this. This is okay. uh, in our next show called Inside Out. Um, we've got a series of, of of pieces. All of the material here is written by men while they were incarcerated. Some of the men are members of our company, some are not. Some are still incarcerated, some are out but gone somewhere else, you know, whatever. 
but it's a, um, and this piece, when uh, we did some of this material in a show at Otisville about six years ago, and this piece, I knew when I saw it that I loved it, but I also knew that there was no way in hell they were going to let us do it while we were doing a show inside the prison. So I said to the guy, Ron, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago, Ron Horton, who wrote it. I says, Ron, one of these days I'd love to do this, but now is not the time. You know what I mean? Well, the day has come and we are working on it. I, I, it's, it is kind of miraculous, the things that have happened that I didn't believe were going to happen. I'm sitting here looking at Chris. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like we're like you're working together for all this time. It's just amazing. But um, but anyway, this piece is called The Box and it takes on solitary confinement pretty much head on. We're just going to, he's just going to do a little section of it. It's rough, it's raw, but it's the truth. And so he's just yeah. going to do a little bit about it, a little bit for you. Okay. You ready, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> Got to ask you that. This, is, this isn't like the last one. Right. We're going to take it there. All right, here it goes. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. I remember reading this shit somewhere. It sure enough applies to this shithole they call prison. Or is that white boy Abbott, what's his face said about prison? The belly of the beast. Well, I ain't about to give up hope. You hear me, motherfuckers? I ain't giving up hope. No, sir. Oop, he just went out. Should we wait? I... Yeah, he'll be back. Okay, all right. He doesn't have the, the, the Wi-Fi is sometimes sketchy. He's terrific. Chris is amazing. Oh, my God. He's so articulate, and he's just, you know. And th this piece, I'll tell you, this is kind of the centerpiece of this show. And it's sent, I mean, I don't mean the centerpiece of the show isn't about it, but it is It is the anchor there. It is It is the one place where we take the audience, where, oh, then we have to slowly bring them back from it because it's, but I think it's really important in the way it's placed in the evening. I think they're ready for it by the time it comes. Right. So. Okay, okay. Here he's back. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. I remember reading this shit somewhere. It sure enough applies to this shithole they call prison. Or is that white boy Abbott? What's his face said about prison? The belly of the beast. Well, I ain't about to give up no hope. You hear me, motherfuckers? Vernon ain't giving up hope. No serves. No fucking way. That's all I got. They're taking everything else. My freedom, my identity and my dignity. Every time they look at my asshole after a visit from my mama, I ain't letting these motherfuckers take my hope, not without a fight. That's it. Looking at my asshole after Looking I up. visit with my Looking mother. Looking up my asshole. Yeah, because yeah, they're checking, yeah. God. I know. What a way for human beings to live. I mean, what an existence. Oh. Yeah, very, very, and I think as Richard said while you were gone, this is a the centerpiece of of uh, of that part of the play, yeah. Um, and I can see you you've got to. I, I like to you have to earn that scene, so that yeah. the audience is ready for it, and then and then and then work <laughs> from it. Yeah, a lot of responsibility yeah. on the actor. Yeah, Thank I'm you. um, I'm I'm appreciative. Um, I'm up for the challenge. Good. Uh, I've come a long way from uh being an individual that looked at the lines and said, there's no way I'm learning this. And I took my show on the road and um, I'm back now. Um, just ready to put on this performance. And, and it's bigger than, you know, just uh, remembering the lines. This particular piece, society is in need of. You know, the last one we did, 
You know, everyone that we do is going to have some level of significance and speak to someone or something about what's going on. Um, right now, there's this like um, large debate about, you know, police reform and justice reform and racism. And, you know, a lot of the individuals that are inside of that environment right, that, that we both had the opportunity to be on or be in, you know, they go through it every day and their voices aren't heard. So this piece is going to speak for them. Um, and allow under, individuals to understand what truly transpires. For the individuals that you know believe in the justice system and, and feel as if, well, someone going to prison is the best thing that society could hope for, you're going to be sadly mistaken after you've seen this. And um, it's going to be great, though. It's going to be great. <clears throat> I am so looking forward to it. Uh, again, the dates uh, for Inside Out. Right now, we don't have a specific, we're still setting up the dates with HB, but it's going to be the first two weekends of December. That's definitely when it's going to happen. We're just picking specific times now because they've got other things scheduled and we got to work it out. Well, I'm very excited <clears throat> as an audience member as, to, uh, as a mom. As a mom. To, come and, to come and see it. This is Prison <clears throat> Monologues podcast, in which we talk with the acting students of Richard Holder in his acting out workshop at HB Studios formerly incarcerated men at Otisville Medium Security Prison. You can contact us at Prison Monologues. That's M-O-N-O-L-O-G-S at gmail.com. And I want to thank Christopher Lee for joining us and giving us some of your words of uh, of wisdom that you've learned moments, in your, in your moments young life. Of motiv- moments of motivation. Yeah. Thank you. And Rich, thank you very much again. Absolutely. I've enjoyed sure. another uh, Prison Monologues uh, I podcast. know. This is, what number? This is our, what, fourth, fifth? Fifth, I like think, yeah. yeah. We're chugging along here. Thanks a lot, yeah. Chris. And uh, stay well. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, I have one, one, one thing to say important. Yep. Um, this is a message for me and a part of my brand, No Fiction Wear. And it's uh, <laughs> stay brave, be safe, and protect your energy always.